Join us each week as Andrew, Ray, and others bring us in on one of their weekly phone conversations with an amazing agent. This is Little Oak Weekly. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, I got a chance to hang out with Kurt, do a little recording, ask him a few questions. I mean, this young guy is a a wealth of knowledge, and I've known him for probably like uh, nine years, I think. I met him nine years ago. His name comes up in conversation. So one of the, not too long ago, my grandson and I were driving past the house where Kurt used to live. And my grandson remembers, uh, my my grandkids kind of know Kurt and his wife. And anyway, I said, uh, you know, Kurt used to live in that house, but he doesn't anymore. He, he, he moved to a different place, but he still rents it out. So Kurt, tell us about this. You know, you're obviously been a real estate investor. I think even before you got involved in selling real estate. Yeah. Tell us about that. That's actually where my journey started. Before I met you, I started by investing in real estate. It started when I read a book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And Michelle and I actually bought that book, read it to each other while we were driving to Edmonton. When we left Abbotsford, we were renting a condo, two-bedroom condo in Abbotsford. By the time we got back from our trip to Edmonton, we'd finished the book, come up with a game plan, started shopping for a house, started working with an agent at the time bought that house that's in McMillan neighborhood for $375,000 at the time, Ren- didn't have a suite in it, renovated it, put a suite in the basement. And when we, we lived upstairs, well, we renovated it. At that time, I was going to university, had a job at a gym and was reno- renovating it kind of in my extra time before kids. And we lived in the basement for the first almost two years. <laughs> And then we, when we had our, for before we had our first kid, we moved upstairs and then put a renter in the basement. We lived upstairs for about three or four years. And then once our family grew out, outgrew that space, we kept that place, put a renter downstairs, renter upstairs, and then moved into our current home that we're living in right now. So I started thinking about investing in real estate before I became a realtor. Being a realtor was never on my radar. It was never my plan. It just kind of evolved into that. So, you know, having that rental property, a, a lot of people don't have a rental property. Matter of fact, home ownership in Canada today is uh, greater than it ever was. And uh, we have one of the highest levels of home, home ownership of most countries in the world. But even at that, a lot of people don't have rental property, you know, own another property or rent a suite out. So, uh, you know, so sometimes some of these things are a little bit of a mystery. So I'm going to ask you a couple of questions just to kind of help everybody understand. So when you were renting that suite out, you, you had income, obviously. Um, remember what the income was at the time? Well, so when we first bought it, so we were paying, we lived in College Park Place. We were renting a two-bedroom condo. We were paying 950 bucks a month. When we bought the house, finished the renovation, got everything sorted out, we, were, we just treated it like an investment property and paid essentially what we needed to into the account to cover the cost of ownership when we were renting out the upstairs. So at the time, we were renting the upstairs. It's a three-bedroom upstairs base typical basement entry we were renting the upstairs for about 1250 bucks a month and we were paying a thousand dollars a month to live in our own basement suite with our own garage and our own yard so about the same that we were paying in rent is what we were paying to live in our own space at the time at the end of the year you had some when you did your taxes up you're you're a pretty straight up guy you you had income to declare from your rental right 100 percent. but you also had expenses that's right so you, can you uh, tell us some of what those expenses are, just so just for, so people have an idea that a lot of times when you have a rental suite, it actually the expenses kind of nix out some of the income. The income. Yeah, I think people can often think about the income 
as being a barrier because they don't want to pay those taxes, right? But you think about the property tax and the maintenance of the yard and the electricity and all the utilities that go involved, interest on the mortgage, all those things all kind of come off. So it worked out, it worked out really good. When we first, so we, when we were living in the basement, we were contributing a thousand dollars a month. Then we were, when we moved upstairs, we were contributing 1500 bucks a month. And then when we left, like, so today I have the upstairs rented for 2200 bucks a month and I have the basement rented for 1250 a month. So it's, you know, bringing in almost 3500 bucks a month in, in revenue. That, uh, is fantastic. The values have gone way up since we bought in 2008 and, and uh, it's been a really good thing. But before I even bought that house, well, after I bought that house, then we bought a couple of townhouses in Alberta. And uh, I wish I would have bought those. I use that same amount of money to buy in Abbotsford compared to buying in Alberta, but that's lesson learned, right? You make decisions based off of information that you have along the way. Well, you know what? It's funny you should bring that up because um, I, I haven't lived in the lower mainland all my life. I moved here about 20 years ago, roughly. And uh, one of the significant differences between uh, the Lower Mainland and other parts of Canada, uh, you know, Winnipeg, even Fort St. John, Alberta, when people buy investment properties in those provinces, they are accustomed to analyzing the, the investment based on the income. So the, the, there's a there's a ratio between the income and the ex, and the and the cost. And if that ratio is a, is a uh, produces a certain rate of return that's significantly more than the bank then it always makes sense to not only buy real estate, but to buy investment real estate. But you raised the point that in the Lower Mainland, the mentality is different. Mentality is different in Lower Mainland because people have lived there for a long time. And you, after you move here from uh, another part of Canada, you begin to think the same thing because you can't help but see that the prices just seem to go up uh, without any rhyme or reason. Well, I think that, that like when I bought in Alberta, I was buying based off of I was following a model and buying off of economic fundamentals at the time. Oil prices were over $100 a barrel. Conservatives were running the province. Employment rate was lower. <laughs> Unemployment rate was lower in the province than anywhere else. GDP was higher than anywhere else in the country. Population was growing at a rapid rate. Like it just it made a lot of sense. Little did I know that the conservatives would get pushed out and the NDP would come into Alberta. That the price of oil would drop the way it has. Like. So those are just things that you you just you, you know at the time I was trying to be sophisticated and make an educated decision about where my money was going to work the hardest and you know what's happened in BC compared to Alberta over the last 12 years I guess is about the timeline 10 years is the timeline you can't compare one to the other so you know buying something for cash flow is still a very important component because obviously you have to be able to service the debt but that's uh that's a whole other conversation so I would bring up the investment part, you know, being in the real estate world and then the importance of investing. I think the thing to, you know, any new agents, the thing to be really thinking about is this is where you earn your income in the real estate world. If you're advising your clients to be also investing in real estate to help your real estate sales business, you also need to be you know, walking the talk or walking the walk, talking the talk and walking the walk, actually putting your money where your mouth is being active, going through those motions yourself. I've had several agents or people that want to become agents come to me that don't own a home. And my advice to them is always like, don't even, one of the first, one of the things that I think should be an absolute necessity is that you should have gone through the process and own your own home before you become an agent. So if you're considering giving up your income, your job, your employment to come into real estate, you should probably make sure you own a home before you do that. It, to me, it seems like a no brainer because if I'm a consumer 
I'm looking to have a conversation with someone who's actually been through the motions before they actually advise me. And so I started in re- I started working as an agent when I was in my mid 20s, which I already had that some of that experience, right? I already purchased three homes by the time I came into real estate. But you know, you have young people today that are trying to get just get a condo, buy a condo that you can turn into a rental one day. It's a great place to start, right? It's funny you should say that about um, not not you're wanting to sell real estate, but you don't even own a piece yourself. So you, you're you're going to be selling a product that you don't own, you haven't invested in. So it's, you're at a little bit of a disadvantage. It reminds me of a situation where I I've had agents. I think one one specific agent said to me one day, she's in Ray. How come you're always selling uh, investment properties like duplexes and fourplexes besides selling houses and everything else? You're always selling these investment properties. And I said, well, I understand how it works and I understand the tax advantage. And, uh, you know, people, when you, as soon as you say the tax advantage, a lot of people don't realize that in Canada, if you're going to, if you're going to grow your wealth, you have to understand the tax implications because the, the Canadian government wants more than their pile in the flesh. And so to operate within the parameters of the, the laws of the country, you have to know and you have to learn. And if you're, in the, if you're in the sales side of the business, like we are, you have to be able to explain that to the customers. And I said to this gal, I said, you know what? I said, if you don't own your first investment property and you haven't been through the hoops with it, uh, it'll be very difficult to explain that to people. I said, so you should buy one. And she did. I, I actually had a listing in my hand. She bought it that day. And uh, of a duplex, she bought both sides, and she was she uh, to this day. If you talk to her, she's probably more than glad that she entered into that part of uh, real estate ownership, owning investment property. And and you're telling us you did this before you even got started. Wow. And so so some of the things. So I've been in the business now for ten years, and some of the one of the things that I appreciate the most about the business is uh, the opportunity to have an impact on other people's lives. My life has been impacted by the business. I met you through this business. My life has been significantly impacted by by your mentorship and your your wisdom, things that I've learned from you along the way. In fact, I I emulated you when I started. I I didn't know like meeting a guy like you, I didn't know there was no businessmen in my life as mentors. There was no uh I, I didn't have a business kind of acumen or training. So I spent as much time with a piece of paper, a pad of paper and a pen in front of Ray getting a free lunch as I possibly could. I went to every seminar that you had several a week. I went to, I followed you as much as I could and even dressed like you and wore lapel pins like you. I tried to, I didn't know what to do. So I just did. I figured if, if you were doing it and it worked, then I should just do what you did. And then over time, I've kind of found my own way and realized, you know, I, I couldn't do that forever because that's not that wasn't who I was and there's a lot of times that I you know had uncomfortable conversations with people because I was trying to be Ray rather than just being who who I <laughs> who I am but well we all need mentors and uh I appreciate you saying that but um it, it basically I'm the same way so when I uh when I got when I was getting started anytime I came across somebody who um was further down the road new stuff I didn't know if I heard a speaker, and I never, I never forget the time I, the first time I heard Jim Rohn, I was in a conference. Jim was doing a two-hour seminar, and the conference was packed. 
It was a Remax conference. We were in Nashville, Tennessee, and Pat's. And, and Jim I, was actually there speaking. Jim was there That's in amazing. person. This was unbelievable. I would love to have heard had the chance to hear him in person. So he, he was he was he was laying it on us for two hours. It seems like two minutes. But I was watching my my watcher back in the day. It was in the nineties sometime. And when I realized his time was gonna be up in about ten minutes and I could tell that he was wrapping up, I said to Patsy, I said, uh I'm going to sneak out and I'll meet you outside the, the room because on the way in, I noticed that he had a product table with books and tapes and stuff. And so I snuck out while he's wrapping up, which nobody's moving because Jim has everybody mesmerizing. He's totally. I sneak out, miss the last five, ten minutes. I get to the product table first because I knew what it was going to be like. I bought everything that he had. <laughs> Amazing. I bought everything that he had and then took it away. And so you talk about mentors. Jim was one of my first. Uh, he, he's not the first mentor I had. But he was one of the first business mentors, and his business philosophy helped mold a lot of my thinking, my investing, my, you know, a lot of stuff I've done in business I learned from Jim. Well, and you introduced me to him, and I have listened to most of, well, I mean, YouTube's awesome now because you get, you get new Jim stuff that you would have never heard anywhere from seminars, recordings, or whatever, right? But Jim is probably one of the first people that you introduced me to to listen to. And I listened to so much of his stuff that it really shaped the way I think about life and business and family and handling finances. What I get a kick out of is, um, you know, I'm quite a student of, of John Maxwell and I'm involved with his organization, uh, his um, the, the Maxwell training system and the team that John has put together. But it always amazes me that when John gets going and doing some training, he'll make reference to Jim. Yeah. And he'll make reference to the times he spent at the feet of uh, Jim Rowan, learning the stuff that he learned. Yeah. <laughs> it's the right way to do it. We've been through quite a bit of stuff in 2020. We're into 2021. You got any general thoughts? What's, your, uh, what's been your experience? What are your, what are your thoughts and what's your thoughts going forward? It's definitely been an interesting time. It's a fascinating human experiment going on right now. The way that people respond. I think it's... Uh, I mean, there's a lesson and I've experienced this a lot in my own, my own journey through this last 15 months or whatever. In, during our human experience, we have an opportunity to either be moved by fear or moved by love. And I think the, the media is having its heyday right now, just pushing that fear button for people. And the fear that is absolutely consuming people and is destroying them on the inside, it's really sad to see people just giving over relinquishing control over their lives and just following the rules and these completely ridiculous situations and I don't I don't want to go I I find myself I find myself trying to stay in the middle because you can go so far one side or you can go so far the other side just separating the the fear component and just trying to actually think for myself think for my family what actually makes sense and we won't go too far down the road one way or the other, but I think the, the the thing that the lesson that I'm learning through it is just this idea of like, am I am I making decisions based off of fear? Am I making decisions based off of like, how does that affect my physiology when fear is the thing that's driving my decisions? And I, I don't like it. I, I've succumbed to it a number of times in the very early stages. I was ready for full on apocalypse, like. <laughs> I was stocking up and 
making sure that I had non-perishables and ready to kill zombies with axes if I needed to. But uh, <laughs> obviously that hasn't happened yet. And so I learned, I learned through that process as well. So it's better. It's all, obviously it's better to be prepared than to be caught wishing that you were better prepared. So I've definitely taken a few steps in the last 15 months, but also trying to just, like I said, walk that middle of the road and recognize both sides of the argument. It's, it's unfortunate how polarizing this has become and the, what's really happened, I think, is that people are driven further apart as a result of the fear. People are being trained to think that other people are likely infected and are going to infect them. And that's just like the stage that's being set, which is really, really sad. But I think there's there's good things that come from this as well. I think in the, on the business side, there's, you know, there's, we have an excuse now to be more efficient with our time. We have less expectations on from p- other people. You know, you can easily have a Zoom call rather than drive 45 minutes. There's a time and a place for FaceTime. Like you really need to get in front of people obviously still, but there's definitely some things that are just a little bit more acceptable to be more protective. This business can swallow your whole life if you let it. Uh, it can be your whole life. And there's that's been part of my journey too is kind of walking the line. There's a time and a place to really put pedal to the metal and just pound doors and literally do whatever you have to and answer every call and show up at every possible appointment and meet every single person you possibly can. And there's a time and a place for that. But then that can become your whole life and be consuming. And then you end up missing out on the reason that you're in the business, right? For me, the reason that I'm in the business is to build a lifestyle for myself and for my family. The the business is intended to serve me in that, provide me an opportunity to have a fulfilling life where I get to have an impact on people's lives. But I, I don't want to be a slave to my phone. I don't want to wake up when I'm 70 and wish that I would have spent more time with my kids. So, Well, you know, today um, we were talking about, uh, you mentioned in passing, the prices of houses are way up today than what they were and maybe some people who are listening are thinking well maybe it's a little different more difficult for me to get into the business uh, or to, to get into an investment but at the same time the other side of that coin the possibility of making more than people would have made in the past as a realtor is 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 an unbelievable opportunity and only and still only a few people take advantage of that i guarantee that i have not had one year that are anywhere close to the record number of transactions that you had. And I don't think that that I actually I don't don't even want that. I don't want to do as many as transactions as you did back in the day back in Fort St. John. But, you know, the average end that you would have had compared to the average end that we could have today, like you could make as much money as you made or more in Fort St. John when you're doing 150 transactions, you can make that on doing 30 transactions. And you can actually make a really nice life for yourself and your family if you're smart with your income, pay your taxes, and you use the money to invest. You put yourself in a position where you're going to be way further ahead. So there, it definitely is a good time to be in the business. You know, um, there's some things that have been coming up lately in terms of local mar- the local marketplace in the, in the Greater Vancouver area. And uh, I've been involved in a couple of um, sales of investment properties, and um, I'm representing the sellers in both of those properties. And during this time, it kind of dawned on me that because um, I told the sellers, I said, "I'm I, the, the price you want for it, I can't justify it based on the on the income." 
but I'm but I'm pretty confident that somebody is going to buy it, regardless of the fact that the, it, the income doesn't justify it. And uh, they said, well, why do you think that is? And I said, well, because, uh, I, you know, it's, it's funny when people ask you a question, you have to think through the answer for yourself because you've never actually thought this through. I began to think that, you know what, I, I have the feeling, and uh, I mean, it's substantiated by things people are saying, that people, part of that fear you're talking about, people are fearful that if they don't buy some real estate today at some ridiculous price, they may never, never be able to buy this home or this investment because they're, they're thinking that the prices are just going to continue to go up. And we have a lot of products besides houses that the prices have gone up, like lumber and, and other things. I don't know what else has gone up, but um, everything's gone up. I mean, all the materials, all the commodities, prices are going up on all of them. Trades, all the pricing on trades is all going up. Like people are, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, it's interesting that as a result of a pandemic, when we thought 15 months ago that maybe the market may go drastically down the other way, the real estate market has gone way up, commodities have gone way up, the U.S. is building homes at rates that are we've never seen before, we're building in B.C. like we haven't seen before, like, and we're actually to the point where we're running out of materials, like, Suppliers are actually telling their contractors that they cannot supply them. Big reputable builders in the Fraser Valley that are not able to get lumber, so their whole job site has to go on hold. Like it's just, it's crazy, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next six months until we get to the place. And I'm just saying, six months trivially, who knows how long it'll actually be before we can actually. Well, well, I think there's stuff we don't know today. So you and I'll probably have a conversation like this later on in the year. But there's things we don't know. We have suspicions of some things, but we don't know uh, the answer to everything. But as time goes on, things become more evident. But I mean, I was uh, in the Okanagan for some business recently, and I drove by some what used to be empty uh, parking lots, fence lots that belong to trucking companies. Yeah. And I couldn't believe what was in those parking lots. Stacked lift, uh, you know, scores of lifts high, scores of lifts deep. Every possible kind of dimension lumber, plain, packaged, ready to ship, plywood, yep, and probably enough material in there to build a subdivision. And then I find out from other people uh, that I'm talking to that some of the plywood mills, some of the famous, we have some famous mills in Canada, in Western Canada, uh, and in Canoe, there's a famous such mill. And I found out recently that they, they can't even, they don't have enough yard space now to store what, they, what they're producing. But go to the local lumberyard. Lumber yeah, and they can't get enough of any one product, and so you kind of wonder what the heck's going Something's on. And maybe on. somewhere along the way, somebody's going to tell us. I don't know. Well, you got any thoughts about that? No, in the future we'll know. We'll look back in the future from the future and and figure. Some somebody will tell us what so it'll become evident why they're doing this. But it's the, 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 you know you talk about a conspiracy theory. I'm thinking there's got to be some kind of conspiracy behind lumber. <laughs> you know, there's a lumber conspiracy theory that we haven't heard yet. Like, I haven't heard anybody talk about lumber conspiracies, but uh, it, it's it's strange, isn't it? Totally. I have a couple questions for you. Sure. Uh, this may, be, may put you on the spot too much, but I heard somebody say recently, actually, it was Chip Wilson was being interviewed by Tim Ferriss. You know Tim Ferriss is? He's a podcaster. Yeah. Tim was asking... Chip some questions and Chip, Chip basically, Chip's the guy that owns or started Lululemon, Chip Wilson. Oh, okay. And so he came out with, he, he made a comment how of a question that he asks people often and I really liked it and I wanted to ask you a question. So the, Chip's belief was that basically your life is, in, during your life, you know, you have several different 
you always have little decisions that you make along the, every day you make little decisions, but there's a handful, maybe 10 of significant decisions that you've made that brought you to where you are today. Can you think of a few that in your own life? So if there's 10 that are like the most significant, can you think of a couple like significant decisions that brought you to where you are today? So one of those decisions was, um, I mean, you know, these things can go back a long ways, but one of those decisions was a decision that my parents made and that I went along with. I didn't fight them at all. I mean, I did have as a teenager, well, I'm going to leave all my friends and, you know, like, am I not going to have other friends? But, you know, when you're a teenager, when you're 14 years old and your parents say we're leaving South America where you grew up and we're moving to Canada where you've never been. So, that, but that decision changed my life in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I, I went to the high school I was in and uh, then I went to in, in Montreal and met my lovely wife. There you go. I would have never met her if I had stayed in South America. So, you know, there, there's all, the, you know, the couple that come to mind, are, that was one the second decision I made was um, when I started my first job, I was in my 20s, I realized by asking my, 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 um, my manager, my supervisor, like I was working on a lumberyard and the guy that ran the lumberyard and he was the, he's the boss, he's the highest person, highest paid person in there, right? Yeah. And he was from Alberta, an older man, uh, great guy, Lyle. I said, Lyle, I, how much do they pay you? And uh, he told me what they paid him. And at the time, I was doing the math in my head and I realized that Lyle made more than me, but uh, I was thinking, that's not enough. And um, I began asking him, Lyle, uh, is there a way that I can get paid based on my performance? And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, I sell a lot of lumber here. Like people come in and I go and I go and see people and I make a lot of sales. I said, can't I get a percentage of the volume of sales that I do? And he said, Ray, this is this is the co-op lumberyard. We <laughs> we don't do that. <laughs> they can't do that. And I and that was when I realized, okay, I have got to get myself out of a working environment where I get paid for the time I put in and get paid for what I put into the time. And so I began looking and then that's kind of how my journey started. So do you think that like that's a that's your language today looking back cuz you at 20 whatever you were early 20s to have that kind of thought like there's a lot of language that you've put on that today but can you think of like what influencers would have been in your life at that point like who would have been influencing you or would you have been reading or listening to that would have caused you to actually think I don't want to trade time for money I want to be paid for performance for value that I add to the to the marketplace so it's, it's funny the person that influenced me a lot and they probably don't know it they probably never knew it because I didn't have many conversations with them, but it was my grandfather. Okay. So every day after school, from the time I was about three years old when I started going to school, uh, my grandfather would send his driver to pick a bunch of his cousins up and drop us off. And I would end up being brought back to the store because my mom worked there. And I would wander around the store and uh, talk to the employees and some of them were my uncles and et cetera. And, but I did it every day. Believe it or not, I was getting an education that I wasn't conscious of at the time. But as I grew older, I began to realize that uh, my granddad had quite a thing going on there. There's some patterns of thinking that you could identify yeah. based off of his behavior. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 and the other thing was, when I was about 11 or 12 years old, I began playing the game of Monopoly. And when I played that game of Monopoly, for everybody else was playing was a game. But for me, it was not a game. 
And I began to realize from playing that game, and I think I think everybody should play that game, especially children should play the game Monopoly, because I began to realize the difference between uh, not having houses and having houses, not having hotels and having hotels, and the difference the money made. And I just love playing it, and I love winning. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you see? <laughs> but what I had as a mentor was my grandfather. See, because he he was doing the exact same thing in real life in terms of his businesses and his real estate holdings. I mean, he owned all kinds of stuff, apartments, lumber yards, uh, uh, car dealerships. So you had that like within your own family, within your own sphere, you had an, a model of what it could be. And it didn't take you very long into your early 20s to be like, this is dumb. Like I'm making $3 an hour. I should be doing something different. And Lyle was probably making what, like four fifty or something. Like well, something. he, he might have been, yeah, he might have been making. Um, he he might have been making twenty um, percent more than yeah, you yeah, or something. Yeah, a, a, a bit more. I think I was making six or seven thousand a year, and he was making maybe twenty five thousand, thirty thousand a year. You know, so which is way more yeah, money. Yeah, but that's still not going to be be difficult to. It's funny. You any two any two people can be exposed to the same thing, but it doesn't necessarily have the same effect. Because one of my cousins told me that um, Ray, you're you're the most uh, you're the most that took after Granddad of all all the rest of us in terms of entrepreneurial. So right. the thing is, it's it's just levels of awareness. It, it, you and I can both see the same thing. Yeah, it can have a different effect on on each of us, right? So totally. So that 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 affected my thinking big time. That's so that was a couple of big decisions. What about the decision to come down from Fort Saint John? So like you're. You're, you've been a realtor now for a handful of years. How many years were you a realtor before you decided to leave Fort St. John? Close to over 15. So you're 15 years. You raised your kids in Fort St. John. You're crushing it in Fort St. John. You have systems and everybody knows Ray. And then you left. Like, What was the decision? What was the bigger reason for leaving Fort St. John? What, was the, what, what affected your decision to leave? You know, it's a, it's a great question because... Um, when you get into your 40s. So this is how that's old you would have been, is around 40 in at that the, time? In my mid-40s. Okay. When you, when you get into your mid-40s, people you know begin to die and you go to their funerals. That's just, you know, people... It are happens your, more and more the older yeah, you get. the yeah. older you get, people die. And so some of the people my age or just a few years older than me would die and I'd go to their funerals. And when I, go to the, when I went to the funeral, I go out to the, 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 the funeral grounds and they're burying this person. I don't know how many times I had the thought come to me, Ray... Are you going to be buried in Fort St. John? And I kept telling myself, no, I'm not from Fort St. John. I'm from Montreal. I'm not going back to Montreal anytime soon, but I've got to move to someplace else. And so I began realizing that I should, you know, that we should move. And my wife and I talked about it and make a long story short through some circumstances. We decided we would do it, made a plan to do it, and then doors began to open. And coming to Abbotsford was simply a call that somebody made to me. Yeah. I didn't make the call. Somebody made the call and said, Ray, come and buy this Remax office. And you would have known that person is probably one of the Gertz's probably, right? That yeah. Made that call. Uh, and that Don, was, Don Sr. So you met Don through one of the Remax conferences? I, I, when I first joined Remax and they first joined Remax within within six months, I met them at a conference uh, downtown Vancouver. I flew down and they came and I recognized them uh, as friendly, good people, uh, connected with them. And then Don, Don Jr. and I became really good friends over the years. And then his got to know his dad. And then his dad made the call to me. Crazy. You think about the decisions, all the little decisions that went even like, so you're, you decided grandfather's model, decide to leave the lumber yard, get you into building before you became a realtor, right? So you go to a builder to, you know, 
I can use. Uh, let me use one. Of, let me use one of Jim's favorite lines: "Profits are better than wages." There you go. <laughs> Jim's got so many good one-liners. I think my favorite Jim one-liner is: "You got to work harder on yourself than you do on your job." And with his voice, the way he says it, it's just priceless. It's like burned in my brain, burned in there. <laughs> but you think about even like the the smaller decisions. So you have some significant life decisions, but you have smaller decisions. You chose to work at Remax rather than a different brand. If you would have gone to a different brand, because there probably was other options, you wouldn't have met these people in Abbotsford and your life wouldn't have come this way and you would have gone somewhere, but a parallel line is completely different. So along those same lines then, what do you think, like where do you see your... You're still a spring chicken. You're still young, but you have what? 10 years. Let's say, what does the next 10 years look like now? You've created, I have two questions. What does the 10, next 10 years look like? And the second part of that question is when you think back to where you were when you started in real estate, did you see yourself being where you are now? How does that kind of? No, I don't, I don't, I, I, today where I'm at today, I didn't see that years ago because years ago I learned the, uh, the skills of selling. And a matter of fact, I thought of what I had learned as being a career, as a profession. I'm a professional salesperson. And when you're good at sales and you can do the kind of sales and numbers of sales and, that I've done over the years, you think, well, I mean, I can make a great living and, and, I, and I don't have to be responsible for a lot other than myself, right? Yeah. And then I began to realize that, um, you know, when you're by yourself, you can go fast. But if you want to go far, you gotta, you have to build a team. You need a team to bring people with you. And if you're going to develop your leadership skills, which everybody should develop their leadership skills, you, you, besides leading yourself, I mean, obviously, you're the hardest person to lead. But if you can get a start a, a handle on leading yourself, eventually doors will open where you can help other people as well. And the fulfillment that you get is, um, is greater than the fulfillment of building a building. You know, when you build a building and you're a contractor, you walk, look back at what you built and there's a great sense of accomplishment. But when you help people develop their life and you help people improve their lives and their lives will, you know, if you help one person change his life significantly, it will change the path of their whole family. So it's a greater level of fulfillment. So when I began to realize that, I thought, you know what, I'm going to really dig into the, uh, to growing the business. And that's what we've done over time. We came here with, it was 25 agents and now we're like just under 200. So was that like around the same time then you're in your mid 40s, you're thinking about coming down here to get away from Fort St. John just because you didn't want to be in Fort St. John anymore, you want to come down here? Is that when you're starting to think about like growing the business and building a team or was that more like in the last five or 10 years? Oh, no, that that began to happen after I got the invitation to move here. And I realized after I got here that I could uh, own the brokerage and sell real estate. But I realized right away that the greater calling was to to dial back the sales. And by the way, I wasn't trying to get away from Fort St. John. Yeah. I, I loved it there. Okay, good. I, I loved it in Fort St. John. I love going back to Fort St. John. But what happens in life is when a door opens, mm-hmm. see, so, so some of you who have faith will realize that um, sometimes you don't know who opened this door. And if you have faith, you think, well, maybe the Lord opened that door and I should go. Yeah. And even though people tell you, Ray, what are you doing? if you have the assurance that you should go through the door. So that's kind of what happened. I wasn't getting away, but a door opened and I came and uh, we began to do the work that was necessary to do. And I still sell, but I, but I've relegated my sales down to uh, helping people with, with, with investments and businesses and that type of thing. And basically spend my time helping people develop their business. And as a result, the brokerage has grown 
to what it is today and probably not it will in the, so in the next 10 years what we're going to do is um you know andrew's my partner now yeah he wants to grow the business so i, I have a like-minded partner in that way so i'm my my goal is to just help him and assist him and to, to maybe even grow by leaps and bounds i, I think that there's opportunities will, uh, will arise that will we always grow like every month you know you know there's always people joining us we have that system in place now yep but now we're going to put a system in place where we're going to grow by leaps and bounds because there's lots of uh, other brokers who they're tired of the business and their age and their health means that they, they're looking for somebody to kind of continue it. Totally. And Andrew's the guy. It's amazing. I'm just his helper now, you see. Extra set hand. So what does that look like for you then? If you're a helper, what, is your, what do you want to do with your time in the next 10 years? What do you see yourself my, my time is going to be spent, spent developing people who want to develop their own businesses so that they can amass a fortune for themselves and their family. And some of them will want to, not all of them, but some of them will want to come and join us and, and put their, you know, put their hand to the plow. And uh, then my wife and I have some uh, projects that we work on around the, you know, around the world, really, some charitable things, because we, we believe that you should, um, you should be doing your giving while you're living so you're knowing where it's going. So we, we want to be, you know, mindful of the fact that, you know, any blessings that, uh, that we've received over the years, then it's not for us to splurge on ourselves. Yeah, we're going to live a good life, but there's, you know, there's, there's, there's schools and there's, there's missions and there's, uh, things like that. What are your favorite projects? Like, what are your, like, that's sweet. I didn't know that you and Pat's, I, I, I figured you probably had some, but which are, like, which ones do you see? you and Pat's diving into the most like will you actually go and be a part of the school build or will you just work on funding it or will you what do you a, a bit of both but but for sure one of the things that we like to do is help children there's a lot of disadvantaged children and and particularly the other thing is there's disadvantaged girls so we we've worked on a mission with a mission that primarily works with girls in uh West Bengal uh, and um, Nepal and uh, Sikkim, and uh, we've also got another project. We What's that organization called? Hope for the Nations. Okay. And then there's another organization we work with in in the Congo, and they've gone through even just recently some unbelievable persecution. And so, uh, and then we work with a we work with a group in uh, in Paraguay with our friend Judah Mooney. So there's a there's a number of projects we already work on, and then. Even our, you know, right in our backyard, you know, like uh, our house backs onto this Christian school here. And so over the last number of years, and there's some guys in our office like Matt Tinsley who were involved with the school. And through Matt, I become involved with the school to a degree where I'm, and they've got a big build going on. So we're kind of involved in that as well. Cool. That's pretty fun. So coming back to the other part of that question. And so when you, when you started owning the brokerage or even say 30 years ago, you didn't necessarily see through your eyes at that point. Like it's not like you created the life exactly the way you thought it was going to be. That's evolved over time as you as you grew and you became. No, I didn't. Um, I you, you don't see it clearly, but um, once you once you begin to envision that you can have a different life, and then you begin to do the work, you you it's kind of like you walk. You go. You know what? The perfect illustration of how life can go is. Um, if you ever make a trip to the Himalayas and you're in Kathmandu and you're looking up the mountainside, you can't see the base camps and there's several. But if you get up to one of the camps, 
you have a different perspective from that point. You can see what's next, you what can your see next what's challenge is. Exactly. You can set the bigger exactly. objective or bigger goal that that's where you want to go. And then as you start going, you start seeing more clearly where you, that makes sense. Yeah. Life is like climbing a mountain. So you can't see the top of the mountain. It might be in the clouds. And uh, you see the next step. And if you have the assurance in your heart, see, the, the end of the day, you know, this, you, you, you talked about people being full of fear and uh, being controlled by the media and all these kinds of things. I think one of the things that when we're going through this pandemic, people should be thinking, why is, is my life in the hands of somebody on the television? Am I really? I don't have any control in my life. I'm not able to think my own thoughts. I'm not able to, to, to do deductive thinking. I'm not able to get all the facts and find out stuff for myself. Really? And so, and so this pandemic is a test. And of course, quite frankly, a lot of people fail the test because their life is what people tell them. Especially if they're an employee, right? If your mindset is, is that you're dependent on other people. I'm not knocking employees because obviously we love and need, we need all kinds of people. But if your mentality is that you're dependent upon other people, then, then it's easy to get sucked into that fear because these people of quote unquote authority over you now have the power to determine what your future looks like when you have to show up for work what you have to wear what does your attitude how you answer like all the things right See, it's funny you should say that about about an employee and then you kind of correct yourself because i, I remember a, a preacher years ago said something that made a lot of sense to me he said it doesn't matter what you do for work but who do you but who do you think is your source yeah who is your source i mean because we we have a lot of we have a lot of people that are good people that they're and that trust in the Lord, and their place is to do what they're doing. Their gift and everything is to do what they're doing, whether it be as an employee or as an entrepreneur. So there's room for both. Yeah, I agree. I, I take my comment back. It's less about being an employee, but more about the mindset. Right. The mindset of, that each person has. Right. And so when you're when you're self-employed, you are forced to think about it differently because if it's going to be it's up to me right like if that if that's that has to be your way of thinking absolutely if everybody has that way of thinking the idea that if it's going to be it's up to me then you think for yourself and you're less likely to give in to the fear and you're less likely to follow some of the crazy rules i want to talk about health what do you You've since I've known you, you've kind of constantly been on a quest for health, always trying to find different things that you can add to your diet or remove from your diet or increasing activity. Or you know, we walk together off there's a while where we were walking together every week, and you know, you're going to the gym regularly now. What do you? What's your What's your perspective? Like, what's your high level thought at this point on health, and what do you wish that you were doing differently? 40 years ago or 20 years ago, especially when you're like, when you're young, you're in your 30s and you're building a real estate business, your metabolism is super high. You're probably just consuming whatever you need to and you're literally just running from one appointment to the next. And, you know, then you get into your 40s and pace changes a little bit. What do you wish that you were doing differently in your 40s based off of, I mean, you can, obviously you make decisions based off of information that you have. And so at the time you were making decisions and doing what you did based off of the information that you had. But today, now, you're more educated, you're wiser, you're looking back 30 years, what would you, what do you wish that you would have been doing differently? So the, the, the simple answer to that question is, I wish that in my head, uh, I knew something that I know today. 
in my head at the time, back in the day, what was in my head was if I could run a mile, I was in shape. And so I've been a runner all my life. All my life I've been a runner. And, and then variations of that is squash and racquetball and, and volleyball and anything that it involves all this cardio, right? The thing I wished that I knew that I didn't know till later in life was that cardio and the burning of, of calories while you're doing cardio happens while you're doing it. What I didn't know, I didn't know that you should actually be consciously thinking about building muscle because muscle will last longer on a daily basis and on, on your lifetime basis. And, uh, so once I discovered that, I, and, and I gotta say, I only really discovered that in the last number of years. But once I discovered it, I began to seriously begin to realize, look, I need to build muscle. And as I do it, the extra fat that is accumulated on my system will eventually burn off. And I'm beginning to see the rewards of it now. I'm not where I want to want to be yet. You know, it's getting there. I could, because I, you know, now I lift weight six days a week, sometimes seven. So you didn't lift at all. It's only in the last couple of years that you started lifting. So you're you're teaching an old dog new tricks in uh, in getting into that. So that, I mean, that would have definitely had, if you were training. So were you intentionally training? Like when you're thinking like when you're in your 30s or 40s or even early 50s, were you like intentionally training, carving out time in your calendar? Like every week you put the big rocks in first, right? Like you put the important things in, you would, you know, you have a full week full of appointments and coffees and meetings and listing appointments and putting deals together or whatever. Did you intentionally put spots in your calendar or no? Yes. So uh, I always knew from an early age, I, I, I think my, my, you know, part of my life in South America involves exercise. That's just part of life. So you're riding your bike so many, you know, quite a few, you know, you're just doing that, right? And then I lived in England for a while. And while I was living in England, then I, then I learned to do cross-country running. And it's when I started to do cross-country running that I, that I had to face. Cross-country running will make you face mental battles that you don't have to face in everyday life. And even riding your bike, you know, unless you're doing like serious hill climbing. But when you start doing cross-country running, you, there's a book called uh, The Loneliness of the, of the Long-Distance Runner. And in that book, they talk about these kinds of things. And I experienced it. And I learned to fight that battle in my mind to because to, I wanted to make the school team. And I was one of the worst. I was the second worst cross-country runner in the school out of 100 guys. They had a trial, and I was number 99, and the other guy came 100. And I said to the coach, I said, I'm going to make the team. And he's probably thinking, what a knucklehead. Good luck, yeah. Good luck with that. Well, I did make the team. And then, of course, I proceeded to even run with the senior boys at the time. And then, But it left an impression on me through my whole life that exercise is like a medicine. So what, how old would you have been when you were trying to get on that cross-country team? 12 years old. That right there, that decision, conscious decision that you made at 12 years old, like it's no wonder you've been a success because you just apply that same, right? Like you just apply that same mentality to like, getting after it when you decided to build, getting after it when you decided to become a realtor, getting after it when you decided to buy a brokerage and build build a team. Like that that was it. That's a that's a big factor. Well it's a it's a big decision and it's a big lesson. And um you see if you push on anything, even though it seems like it there's a huge amount of resistance, if you keep pushing, it's either you will quit or what you're pushing against will have a little bit of give. That's right. And so I've learned over the years that if you want to accomplish something, just, you know, you get yourself. Hey, the other thing is, you know, in anything you're trying to accomplish, it's good to have a mentor. 
it's good to have people who've done it and 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 why reinvent the wheel learn what they've taken them years to learn right right yeah you got any you got any closing thoughts for the day you mentioned that uh you learned at an early age that exercise and staying fit and staying active was an essential component i can relate to that 100 percent because especially in the real estate business where you have people saying no to you and you knock on doors and you don't get results and you try and put deals together and they don't come together like there's constantly defeat that can have an effect on your mental life your mental health and i've found through my journey in real estate that i've always grown up being active i've always played sports i've i left started lifting weights with my dad when i was 12 so it's always been an important part of my life but i have i've re relearned that now in the last 10 years being in real estate, going through periods of time where I was too busy to exercise, too busy to take care. I told myself I was too busy to exercise, too busy to take care of myself. And thinking about where my headspace was at, how I handled those objections, or I handled defeats, or I handled failures, or I handled reject, like any of those things is entirely different when I take care of myself. I put good food in, I get the right amount of rest and exercise. It just clears the mind and just equips you with a better skill set to then get after it. Pick a, pick yourself back up after you get knocked down, right? Ray, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. You have had a significant impact on my life and not only my life, but my family's life, my kid's life, my parents' life. As, a, as You don't even know them, but just as a result of what you invested into me. So I really appreciate you. Well, we appreciate having, uh, I appreciate having you as a friend and uh, getting to know you. And you've, uh, you bring a lot to the table. And uh, I know the agents that are, the people that are going to listen to the podcast will appreciate all the things you shared with us. So we'll do this again later. I look forward to it. Thanks, Ray. Take care.